Turn to James chapter 4, if you would. James chapter 4. Over the last couple of Sunday nights, our men have been teaching through the first part of this chapter, and um, tonight we're going to be looking at verses 11 and 12. Just two relatively short verses, but they are, they are definitely challenging to us. And I want to get a little bit of a head start as we come into verses 11 and 12. So at the beginning of James chapter 4, in the first three verses, James challenges his readers that there's conflict among them because they're chasing idols. And in verses 4 and 5, he reminds them God is jealous. He treasures us and he wants us all to himself. What does it imply if God is jealous? Do you get jealous over something that you don't want? We get jealous over things that are important to us, that we want for ourselves. So the very fact that God says he's jealous for us implies that he wants us for himself, that we are precious to him. And then in verse 6, God promises grace to those who are willing to humble themselves. And then in verses 7 through 10, he tells us what humility looks like. So if he's calling us to be humble, this is what that looks like. And now as we look at verses 11 and 12, this is kind of the opposite. Here's what humility doesn't look like. This is something that should not characterize the life, the life of a believer. Verses 11 and 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? What is James basically telling us in these verses? He's telling us we need to let God be God. Look back at verse 1 of chapter 4. Who are the quarrels and fights with? Somebody, out loud. Who are the quarrels and fights with? Each other. So James is telling us not to speak down on or to slander or to criticize one another. Now, the term that James is using here in chapter, or I'm sorry, in verse 11, was commonly used to refer to the way that the unsaved world was referring to Christians. It was slander. Christians were hated. They were lied about. They were ridiculed. They were reviled. They were verbally abused for their faith. Some of the trials that James referred to in chapter 1 would have included all of the verbal abuse that these believers were going through in, in a world that hated their God. But even worse, these believers that James were writing to were slandering each other in similar ways. Christian to Christian within the church. Back and forth, trying to one-up each other. Instead of building one another up in humility, they were tearing each other down. Unless we be quick to judge, are we immune? 
What are some reasons that we slander each other? Look back at chapter at verse 2. What's one of the reasons that we might slander or speak down on one another? Somebody out loud. Our desires, our covetousness. Sometimes we don't think it's fair that someone else has something that we don't have. So we criticize or slander them to try to even the score. Another reason is what James addresses in verses 6 and 10, pride. When we slander somebody else, aren't we usually doing it to make ourselves look better? When we slander or criticize someone, we're exalting ourselves above them. We may not think about it that way, but that's exactly what we're doing. Look back at verses 6 and 10 again. What does God call us to be? He calls us to be humble. If we're humble, do we decide what's best for us or do we let God decide? If we're humble, do we decide what things we need that somebody else may have or need? Or do we let God decide? If we're humble, do we slander other people in order to lift ourselves up or to even the score? Obviously, the answer would be no. Who is the only one who has the right to decide what's best for me? Who is the only one who has the right to decide what I should have and what someone else should have? Who's the only one who has the right to decide my life circumstances, my position, my station. Who's the only one? We all know that that's God. Do I live as if I believe that? Does my tongue, remember James has a lot to say about the dangers we can inflict with the tongue. Does my tongue bless God but curse people? Or do I remember that God is God? He knows best and everything I am and have And everything you are and have is exactly as God has ordained it. And that just as God isn't finished with me yet, he also isn't finished with you yet. But look at how James explains why this slander about others is so wrong in verse 11. Who's the only one who has the right to decide what is best for me and what's best for everyone else? God. How do we know? How do we today know what God wants for us and for others? Where do we find that? We find it in his his word, his law. Remember, James is writing primarily to the 12 tribes, that is, the Jews. They would have thought of the Old Testament collectively as simply the law. And since James was one of the first New Testament books written, there wasn't much New Testament yet. So when James refers to the law, he means the word of God. When you become a judge over God's people, you're putting yourself in the place of God. You're telling God you know better than him. You are saying that his law isn't fair or right. You're saying that his decisions about who should have what things aren't fair or right. You are usurping God's throne. But do we consciously think of it that way no of course we don't James has also already referred to the law earlier in his epistle let's look back at verse uh, chapter 1 verse 25 
How does James refer to the law? The perfect law of liberty. When you think of God's law, do you think of something that restricts or of something that liberates? Don't we tend to think of it as something that restricts laws, rules, precepts, commandments? Those are restrictive, aren't they? And yet, that's not how God intended it. They were meant to free us, to serve and to love God, and to receive all the blessings that he longs to give us. It was meant to free us to enjoy the abundant life God wants to give those who obey. Then in chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, James points out how the law tells us to think of others. So, Let's look at those together. Chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. How does the law tell us to look at, at other people? There are two things that these verses tell us specifically about how the law tells us to think about other people. What are they? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself and... Don't be partial. We're supposed to be impartial. I must always be committed to seeking the best for others equally. All others. Not just those who seem to be impressive to me or might be able to do something good for me in return, but all. And finally, in chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, James tells us the law is comprehensive. If I don't keep it all, I haven't kept it at all. But again, how does James refer to the law in verse 12? The law of liberty. It isn't given to restrict us, but to free us, to bless us, to provide for us, to do good for us. Do we really believe that God's law is meant to do all that? Ultimately, our covetousness and our pride are based on a lack of trust. We think we know better than God, so we aren't trusting him to know best. We are not trusting him to do what's best for us and for others. So James reminds us who is really on the throne in verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He has absolute control over everything. He can save. He can destroy. He can build up and he can tear down. He can give life and he can bring death. He is infinitely great, and we are infinitely small. So who are we to judge others rather than letting God be God? Again, look back at chapter 2, verse 8. If you're speaking against someone else, are you loving them as yourself? You can't be. If we're to love someone as ourselves, what does 1 Peter 4, 8 tell us that love does? It covers a multitude of sins. It means that you aren't holding that person's sins against them. Now, does that mean that we just sweep everybody's sins under the rug? No. There are times when someone has done something wrong and we need to correct them. How do we do that according to Galatians 6, 1? Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should get your pound of flesh. 
Is that what it says? You who are spiritual should make sure everybody in the church knows how bad they are. Is that what it says? No. You who are spiritual should restore. Restore in a spirit of meekness. Does that sound like humility? Yes, it does. You're putting someone else's good ahead of your own comfort. Is that our tendency? Is it our goal to be a blessing and a help to others? Whether there's someone we naturally gravitate toward or someone we might tend to shy away from. That's why we need to be led by the Holy Spirit and let his fruit rule in our hearts. Just as Paul has just written in the verses that precede chapter 6 verse 1 of Galatians. It isn't something that any of us can do in our own strength. Some years after James, um, yeah, some years after James wrote this epistle, Paul would write his letter to the Ephesians. One of Paul's great themes in Ephesians is the Christian community and what God wants the church to look like so that the world will see his love in us. Look with me at the first or the last few verses, I'm sorry, of chapter 4. Look at verse 29, Ephesians 4:29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do your words consistently build other people up? Well, what if they don't deserve it? Are you giving grace to those who hear? Would it be grace if we only gave what was deserved? No. Grace gives more than we might think is deserved because our goal is to build one another up if we're to follow Christ. Then look at Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander Be put away from you along with all malice. Instead, we are to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is humility, loving others as yourself. Doing good simply to please God and to follow the example that God gave to us in Christ. Trusting God to know what's best for you and what's best for others. And volunteering to God to let him use you to be part of showing his grace and his goodness to others by your words. By your kind words rather than slanderous words. So the next time you're tempted to share a prayer request about someone else's faults, think twice. Are you building that person up by your words? What about the way that you talk about other people's kids? What about the way that you talk to your spouse? What about that person in the church who maybe isn't your kind of person? Maybe they root for the wrong sports team. (laughs) Or maybe for some reason you just don't feel like you can get along with that person. Are we being impartial 
Are we loving them as ourselves, as God commands us? James is telling us to set aside our own preferences, our own biases, our own comforts, our covetousness and our pride to let God be God and for us to be committed with godly humility to building one another up. So what does James say in these verses? Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? 